Welcome to the Fustel Fit Podcast with your host, Nicola Fustel. Straight talking, body positive coach and personal trainer. Nicola brings you your weekly guide to finding real health and fitness and to live the life you deserve. Welcome to episode 28, 29. Let me see. Welcome to episode 29 of the Fusel Fit Health and Fitness Podcast. So today I speak to Rachel Foy and I've been wanting to speak to Rachel for a while now. She is one of the few people I think in the UK who's doing the work that she's doing. Um, and so it was nice to be on the same time zone for once. So the reason why I put Rachel in is because she's a food freedom coach helping soulful ambitious women that are food and body obsessed to reduce their anxiety overwhelm and fear by reconnecting back to themselves and their soul hungers helping them live their life on purpose and with confidence happiness and joy and no longer waiting on the weight a former diet junkie and exercise addict she battled with disordered eating for 14 years rachel is a coffee and cake lover obsessed with all things hot pink she is empathetic and intuitive soul She's an empathetic and intuitive soul who brings spirituality and all things woo-woo into her life and her work as much as possible whilst being a therapist and intuitive coach with 10 years, 10 plus years experience. She struggled to merge the two for a little while, yet now has come to realise that it is possible to be spiritual and woo-woo while still wearing heels and bright red lipstick. <laughs> she started her business helping hundreds of women end their food struggles and body hatred through her group program, the Food Freedom Masterclass, and her highly sought after one-on-one -on -one mentoring program. Her passion for helping women find their food freedom has seen her live and work in Dubai before returning to the UK in 2016. Rachel's first book is due for publication in spring 2017, and her podcast, Ditch the Diet Radio, is available on iTunes. So check out the show notes below this um, audio and you're here. You can see Rachel's uh, website, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, etc., etc. So enjoy the interview and leave me a review, please. So welcome, Rachel, and tell us how long have you been a food freedom coach? Um, gosh, be a good question. So probably about four five years is when I've really focused on this particular like topic mm -hmm. um so my my background is that of being um, a therapist and I've actually worked as a therapist for over 10 years um but for about the past four or five years this has been my focus of passion um for so many reasons <laughs> okay so are you a dietitian or nutritionist no I have studied nutrition in the past but it's not something that I actively do anymore um so my my therapy background is more of um hypnotherapy and um, clinical cognitive hypnotherapy so a lot of mind stuff okay. um so yeah the the nutrition bit was something that i studied at one point very useful but it's not um it's not really something that i use with my clients so can you share like what um a bit about your story and how you got into doing the work that you're doing yeah so my story started i suppose very innocently like so many people um i started to diet when i was about 15 
Um, and it was just something that I got pulled into with a lot of other people, you know, my friends and what have you. Uh, my mum was also um, very obsessed with dieting. So I was exposed to that as well growing up. And I'm not blaming my mum. It's just something that I was very aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and from about the age of 15 until sort of my late 20s, that really was the slippery slope into food and weight obsession. And that kind of swayed from one extreme to the other, like binging one minute and starving myself the next. Um, I did use exercise in a very unhealthy way as well along that journey. Um, sometimes actually working out multiple times a day. And yeah, it wasn't a pretty place to be. You know, it was very time consuming. It took all my energy. It took away a lot of the fun that I could have been having because often I was too scared to go out to places in case there was food that would be breaking my diet rules. So I was trying to, you know, live in this little bubble that sadly so many women can um, can relate to. And it was towards, yeah, towards like the, the end of my 20s, things kind of started to shift for me on a personal level. So I actually had a relationship breakdown, which was completely out of the blue. We were actually engaged at the time. And that just sent me into a massive spiral. I had like a a mini breakdown for want of a better expression. Um, But I kind of used that opportunity to really get a grip of what was going on for myself. And off the back of that, I ended up having a few like illnesses and a few you know health problems that kept appearing and I actually got pulled into the whole world of like holistic health and holistic medicine and so you initially started by helping yourself yeah which I think again is such a this is where my passion comes from because I, I understand for so many of my clients like what it's like to be in that place so so for me that really was my trigger I ended up having to help myself because I was in such a rubbish place at the time with my health with my emotions like my mental health how I felt about myself obviously off the back of a relationship breakdown so there were all those beliefs about I'm not good enough you know it's something to do with me Um, and I just got absorbed and kind of sucked into this world that I'd never even known about of holistic medicine and that really was the trigger that was my turning point where I started to sort myself out and I was reading books and yeah I ended up actually throwing my job away and starting again so I retrained I actually retrained in all of this wonderful stuff that I just discovered so yeah that's a that's my 14 year story very very quickly. (laughs) So how did you then go from a therapist into eating like food freedom coach? Yeah so basically what happened and I've never you know I I never kind of shy away from answering this question honestly because I think it's really important for people to know about. Um, When I actually started doing like general therapy it was for anything and everything so from like anxiety, panic attacks, fear, phobias, smoking etc. But one of the other things that I was often asked to help people with was weight loss. I, I kind of ended up being pulled into the whole weight loss coaching world, mm-hmm. which I did for a little while, probably a couple of years, if I'm honest. But there was always something at the back of my mind that never felt right. Like it didn't feel right to me, particularly after having had my experience with this stuff. Um, and even though my intention was to just really help someone heal their relationship with food, what I was starting to notice was that all of my clients that I was working with on like a therapy basis, they were all starting to say how much calmer they felt and how much more content they felt about themselves and and how much freer they felt when it came to food, but their weight wasn't changing. 
And that's when I started to realize that actually what I was really good at doing was helping women break free from food and dieting a weight obsession. And that's when I started to change my path because I realized that the the focus of trying to help women lose weight was actually not what they needed. It wasn't what they wanted and it wasn't actually what I was what I was doing with them I was healing their relationship to themselves um so that's kind of really what happened it was that suppose that awakening moment of going do you know what I'm kind of not quite on the right path so I need to take a step to the side and as soon as I did that everything just fell into place so it's great that you naturally started helping people in that way and I know yeah. from myself and many other people as well we've all fallen into the the weight loss trap because we listen to the marketing and the media and we believe that we can actually help these people even yes. sometimes in our training even like as a personal trainer I was taught that I could help everybody with weight loss and like you're saying with the mindset and there's people like um even Tony Robbins people who I love and admire and love listening to his talks but he still seems to think that it's a case of your mindset can help you lose weight so when did you come across health at every size and understand that you can be healthy at any size and not necessarily everybody can lose weight? I think that was probably about maybe two, three years ago. So obviously, like working in this field, I'm constantly watching things, reading things, which I'm sure that you are. Like once you kind of start on this journey of not just helping other people, but obviously continuously working on yourself, and it was it was something that kept being mentioned in certain circles and certain conversations. And I was like, I really need to know more about this. Um, and as soon as I read the book, The Health at Every Size by Linda Bacon, it just made so much sense to me. And it made me realize, I suppose, some of the stuff that I hadn't fully pieced the puzzles together like years previously. Mm -hmm. um, and it really just kind of took my learning to a different level, really, to be honest. And it gave me the wasn't necessarily the confidence but it gave me this kind of knowledge where I was able to you know very openly say to people you know this is not what I'm trying to do with you now we're not trying to change your body size we're not trying to change your weight we're not trying to change your shape um because it's that's kind of irrelevant and I don't want that to sound flippant to anybody listening because I know that some people genuinely do struggle with their bodies but in the bigger picture, you know, in the grand scheme of things, our body is just this incredible place where we get to live. And if we can't embrace it with all its lumps, bumps, you know, wobbly bits and everything else, then we're kind of missing the whole point of living. Mm -hmm. So that for me was really just the next catalyst for me to really tighten up my message and to really start focusing on what I was really helping people to do. Um, because there is there is so much misinformation out there. And, you know, unfortunately, the health at every size movement or, or conversation whatever we want to call it it's not mainstream like so few people even still are really not that aware of it um it is growing in its in its kind of power but it's still very small compared to what we associate of being mainstream knowledge when it comes to bodies and, and weight yeah which is why we need to talk about this even more <laughs> absolutely definitely so just taking you back a little bit there, because you said about you had some food issues and body image from your mum. Yes. Um, how did you then get over the food stuff and your own body image to feel comfortable in the way that you look? Um, I think for me, it was kind of, um, it's not necessarily the story that most people assume. So because I'm obviously doing what I do now, um, I think a lot of people assume that I must have had like therapy myself. And, you know, I kind of talk about my journey of, of personal development, as it were. 
But actually what really happened for me is when I started to retrain as being a therapist and I got like pulled into the whole world of mindset and coaching and yeah, personal development and all those, you know, people that you mentioned like Tony Robbins and and it just really allowed me to start feeling more in alignment with myself. So I talk a lot about soul hunger because actually for a lot of people that do struggle with food and their body, they're also using food quite often and actually their their weight and their body as this thing that they're trying to fill. Like there's a lot of voids and emptinesses when it comes to our relationship to food. It's a, it's a substitute. It's very symbolic. So for me, what actually ended up happening is I never intentionally set out to heal my relationship to food. You know, I didn't go out there to to work with a coach or to find some kind of expert or so-called you know, guru. But what really happened is I just started to really find more fun and interest and excitement for myself in my life. And that was definitely when I started to you know, retrain and, and really kind of do the things that I've I suppose I always had a passion for, but I never really pursued. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really my my journey. It was more about me changing my my path, to be honest, and kind of filling those um, those empty spaces that I never really felt satisfied before, like in my job and career and those kind of things. Yeah. So working with people with food issues, does it ever stop you from moving forward, or does it ever trigger you to going back? Um, honestly, no, it doesn't. I feel like I've come such a long way from where I used to be um, that I very rarely get triggered now. The only trigger that I can possibly have is more from like an empathetic emotional point of view. So, you know, if I'm talking to someone and they're, you know, like explaining how they're feeling about something or, you know, something that's going on in their head all the time, like this constantly revolving cycle of thoughts that can trigger me in the sense of oh my god I remember feeling like that and I remember what that's like um but when it comes to food itself I'm I would go so far as to say that I'm healed when it comes to food and body image like genuinely there are very few things now that anyone could ever kind of say or any comments that would actually trigger me to feel insecure because I feel like I've worked for such a long time on myself like it's approaching a decade at least on personal development now that I feel so grounded and rooted in myself that I'm not even bothered about size weight shape like I don't weigh myself I don't know what weight I am I've had two children I'm not really bothered about the fact that my body has changed um, because I'm more concerned about living my life to the full which is what all of us should be doing really shouldn't we yeah so do you feel like in your work that (coughs) letting go of the food issues and body image will be the key to then getting the life like living your life I think it could be either way to be honest I think sometimes when we talk about like the the body positive movement and suppose really even food freedom it's it's kind of a what comes first do we need to heal our relationship with food and our bodies in order to live our life or do we need to live our life in order to heal our relationship with ourself? Mm-hmm. Um, and I tend to sway towards the second, to be honest, because from my experience, when someone kind of comes into this conversation of health at every size, they're trying to not diet anymore, they're trying to find their freedom, whatever that might mean for them, we can still end up falling into that almost as if it's still some kind of like 
rules and schemes that we're trying to stick to as in oh well what should I be doing with food freedom and how should I do this and how can I still be a body positive um, you know advocate if I'm doing this and we start to create all these rules around this topic so for me what I always focus on with my clients is yes we talk about food yes we talk about body image in terms of what that means to them and why do they believe it's important for them to overcome it or you know heal it on whatever level but it's also more about well, let's put the food story to one side and the body story to one side. And let's actually look at the bigger picture. Now, in terms of like you in your life right now, where are those areas that you don't feel satisfied? Like where are those empty spaces that you just feel like undernourished or underfed? Because until we actually address those on a really deep I suppose transformational level, mm-hmm. that's really where the food stuff starts to heal itself. And that's definitely what I noticed of my own story, that because I was working more on the changing my career, doing things that really lit me up. I changed my relationship through it wasn't my choice at the time, but it was the biggest blessing in the whole wide world. Um, Met my amazing husband now. um, And it just really made me realize that all those things are they're really important on this journey because, you know, you can work with somebody for months and months and months just focusing on body confidence and body image and how to feel better in their skin but if they've still got a crappy job or they're still in a relationship that doesn't satisfy them or they still feel that they're you know neglected within like um, a family circle or a friendship circle that's a maintaining cause so yes on the surface their food relationship might slowly be improving but the things on the deeper level that are actually perpetuating the cycle are still there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it's really interesting you say that because there seems to be two reasons that people have problems with food or body image. And one is that maybe they started dieting and, and a physiological thing happened. They actually got food issues because of the dieting. Mm-hmm. Or the other hand, where somebody's had issues in their life and then... Um, I think my mind was probably a combination of the two and probably that's a a third option. Um, But the other one would be where they've had issues in their life and they're trying to gain control again by controlling their food and body. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's also um, there's also another one that I want to kind of throw in there as well, which kind of from like an emotional point of view, like a lot of people that often struggle with food and body image, they can also have a lot of, and I'm not a big label person, I don't tend to label people or things because it's not it's not useful to be honest, but just for the sake of conversation. So things like anxiety and depression, if we want to call it that, those two things can often be part of this conversation as well. Um, and I know from my experience, I wouldn't necessarily have said or even thought that I was an anxious person. But actually, when I look back now, I was like I was a worrier. I was constantly worrying about stuff. And, you know, by default, if we worry too much, we're going to start creating this anxiety within ourselves. Um, So I think that's also possibly another one that when we do feel anxious more times than not, or we do tend to fall into these dark places of just not feeling very happy with life, that can also be another trigger for us to start controlling our food. And let's talk a little bit about the control. So many Mm. people start dieting to gain control in their lives, which is why it can be so hard to let go. Yeah. uh, Because you really feel like you're just free falling, basically. You've got no control over anything then. And um, as they say, um, you have to leap for the net to appear. And that is exactly how I felt. I felt like I had to just completely let go and then I was just free falling. Can you describe your own experience of free falling or that of some of your clients? 
I think this comes down to self-trust, doesn't it? I was bizarrely talking about this yesterday to one of my clients because I think the the whole kind of misunderstanding of well, when we're on a diet where we're trying to control our food, it's often in the background that belief that if I don't do this, I'm not going to have any control, as in if I can't follow the plan and the program, as you said, I'm just going to be like, eating in oblivion my body's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. and that in itself can be like that paralyzing fear as to why people don't even want to take that jump away from diets but the irony is is that the more diets that we go on we actually lose more control when it comes to everything and anything because you know diets can trigger binging and diets can trigger food obsession and diets can trigger so many things which are not at all the definition of control it's the complete opposite So I know from a lot of the time when I'm kind of speaking to people about this, it's like it comes down to self-trust. And yes, sometimes the idea of not dieting anymore can be absolutely petrifying. Just having that, you know, that freedom, even though freedom is what so many people desperately desire. At the same time, having that freedom to be able to eat what you want, when you want, however much you want it can be very overwhelming, especially if you're so used to having those plans and programs and restriction. Um, So what I would encourage anyone to do is it's really about acknowledging that first of all, that fear is not wrong. That fear is part of the journey. And actually without that fear, it's unlikely for you to really get started because the fear shows you that there is some kind of dysfunction going on in the first place that you're scared to even change it. Um, And it really comes down to self-trust, you know, like that analogy, like you just said, you know, until we jump, sometimes we can't really see the thing that we're needing. And it really does come down to just trying to tune into, even if it feels really small or it seems like really, really tiny, just that intention that you can trust your body. And, you know, that might literally be one day at a time. It might even be one hour at a time. But until you can actually just believe that you can trust yourself that fear is going to keep anybody stuck from even trying because that's what fear does it prevents us from change Mm -hmm. and then I guess the next step is you trust yourself and then your body starts gaining weight and it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy you know you knew that was going to happen so you don't want to gain the weight and you feel you have to go back on the diet Mm-hmm. But what in your experience has happened with people's weight gain? Because I think with my own, I felt like because I dieted so long and my last diet was so restrictive that as I did bodybuilding, I then yeah. had binged eight and my weight gained so rapidly and I felt like it was going to go on and on and on and on. Um, having not weighed myself, I don't really know what's happened to it, but I feel like it stopped and kind of relaxed, which yeah. it should do naturally into my set point. But what in your experience have people... Um, experienced have has the weight gone up and up and then it's come down a bit and settled I think first of all just kind of from a disclaimer point of view it's not a given that anybody that embarks on this journey will naturally gain weight because that might not happen um sometimes weight goes up sometimes weight comes down sometimes weight stays the same and actually it doesn't really matter what happens to the body because what we're trying to do is actually heal everything else that's the problem Mm -hmm. so what I tend to notice with my clients is first of all obviously address that fear because as you've rightly said that fear of weight gain can obviously prevent people from even trying this Um, But it's really a case of if the weight starts to go up and that might be, again, just perception, because a big part of my work with my clients is the scales get thrown away. We don't measure. We're not tracking. We're not monitoring. Numbers are irrelevant. They've got nothing to do with our self-worth whatsoever. But at the same time, if somebody feels like they're getting bigger or the weight's going up, 
it's to just try and relax into this process of you need to keep trusting this okay you need to keep trusting what your body's trying to do because for some people and you're actually a really good example of this Nicola someone that has been really restrictive over the years whether it has been through like you know your experience of bodybuilding so excessive exercise maybe it's someone who's restricted purely through like sort of calorie restriction for no other reason other than trying to become super slim their body is naturally going to start changing because when we've restricted for such a long time our body is so intricately programmed and wired to be constantly bringing herself back into equilibrium and sometimes that means that weight does go up but at the same time that's not a given so you know some of my clients their bodies have changed and their weight may have gone up a little bit some of my clients their weight may have gone up a little bit more some people it stayed the same um and i think it's interesting that everybody that i've ever worked with and i've always said this at the beginning of our work together i've got no guarantee as to what's going to happen to you as an individual because i don't know like we we don't know when we start doing this kind of work but really it's about working on the mindset and i think this is where i suppose i bring a lot of the the things that i specifically use with my clients in because if somebody's body feels like it's getting bigger or they're starting to get worried by it or they're getting anxious or it's you know triggering them to oh i think i need to go back on a diet again it's about changing their mindset, you know, and it's about really delving down into those beliefs of, well, why is this a problem for you? Like, why are you feeling anxious? What meaning have you given it? Because 99% of the time when a woman starts freaking out because her weight's going up, the weight is actually not the thing that she's scared of. It's the meaning behind it. So, so to give you an example, quite often we think, oh, well, if, if my weight keeps going up and up and up, people will judge me or people will think that I'm not a good person or people will think that I'm not, um, you know, I'm not lovable or I'm not deserving enough. Like we start to have so many um, beliefs around weight gain. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's those beliefs that are the problem. It's not the actual weight itself. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I can totally yeah. relate to that because I felt like as a fitness professional, people will look at me like she's let herself go. She's eating everything she likes now. She's putting on all this weight. And I just always felt that people would be judging me. And I think you definitely have to have a talk with yourself and realize that mainly people who judge are the ones who are judging themselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, something that's, that's also part of this conversation as well, like a lot of the time when we are so weight fixated or like body obsessed there is often that need of us seeking external validation and again this is a big part of anyone's journey like when you really want to get to that place of having your freedom when you ask me like do I get triggered now and I don't it's because I no longer seek external validation like I'm not here to please everybody no I don't you know, I'm not saying that I go out of my way to be like awful to people, but at the same time, if somebody doesn't like me, I'm okay with that now. Whereas years ago, that would have made me go, oh my God, it's me, it's my fault. You know, I'm not good enough. I need to change myself. Um, And that's not true. And that links to that whole fear of weight gain as well. Like when we're so concerned about what other people think of us, that's because we're more concerned about the external validation than actually validating ourselves from the inside. Mm-hmm. And can we talk about food addiction? So I know it's a a big one, but obviously there's like drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and those are the kind of things that people can just obviously with help sustain from, but with food, you need food on an everyday basis, hour to hour. So do you believe that there is such a thing as food addiction? 
Oh, big question. Okay. Uh, do I believe this food's addictive? Honestly, uh, I'm going to say no. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm choosing to say no is because... Okay, let me put it this way. A lot of the time when people think that they are addicted to food, what I tend to interpret that as being is that they are more addicted to the behavior around food. So they are more addicted to the binging. They're more addicted to that adrenaline rush of eating a whole packet of biscuits. Like They're more addicted to the behavior and that state of mind as opposed to the food itself. Because we could argue that a lot of the other things that society can become addicted to, like drugs and alcohol and cigarettes as well, if some somebody actually stops eating them um, stops having them quite often it can be it can be very detrimental to their health so I'm thinking like let's use drugs as an example if somebody's physically um, and metaphorically addicted to drugs if they stop having them like you know instantly they go through that withdrawal like it can actually damage their body mm -hmm. whereas that's not the case of food we can get a bit annoyed that we're not having the biscuits and we can get a bit frustrated that we can't have the sugar but it's not going to kill us like it's not going to affect us to the same way physiologically as some other substances can so what I tend to notice with my clients who are very adamant that they are addicted to food and that's the problem I often help them start to realize that that's not really what's going on. It's more about being addicted to that behavior because, you know, we've all been there. I used to, and I'm sure that you can relate to this as well, that having having that feeling of I really want to binge, I need to binge and kind of, you know, you're working yourself up mm -hmm. until you can get whatever it is you're wanting to eat. We get addicted to that feeling. So really what I try and help my clients do you start to break those associations and those habits as opposed to stop having the food because obviously we can't do that uh, nor in fact should we because food should be enjoyable um, so certainly from my experience I don't truly believe that food is addictive I do believe though that the emotional connection to food and the behaviors around food they are the things that we have become addicted to particularly if those behaviors are coping strategies mm -hmm. so we end up just using them without even being aware of it. And I guess also the reward, because when yeah. you're talking there about binging, it does actually remind me, and I haven't thought about this until you've just said that. Um, I remember one of my last few binges, I felt like, do I really want to let this go? Because it's such an enjoyable experience, even though yes. it's not afterwards. But at the time, when you're so desperate for the food, that first initial bit of food is, is enjoyable and it gives you those endorphins. So I wonder if that's another thing to it, because obviously you get that high from having sugar or, or the binging food. Exactly, which would again kind of advocate the fact that it's the behavior that's the addiction because yeah. I'm guessing like for you, if it's like the sugar, it could have been like chocolate or it might have been biscuits or it might have been donuts. It could have been anything that was like a certain taste. And you know, in that just food in general, just yeah, <laughs> I can exactly. eat food, let's just have it all. <laughs> yes, exactly. Sort of food in general. But I think the association to food as well is something that is very relevant when we're talking about this because you know, sometimes we do use food, like you've just said, as a reward, or we use it as a comfort, or we use it for safety, or we use it as a way of um kind of feeling like loved in some sense. Mm -hmm. So if that's the behavior and the association that we are becoming addicted to you can see why some people really are struggling to, to let it go because you know even though on the surface we don't want to binge and we don't want to overeat and we don't want to feel rubbish and we don't want to feel guilty there's arguably a very positive reason as to why we're doing it and you know from a mindset point of view 
which is a, a big part of the the focus that I do with my with my clients. It's about helping them appreciate that there probably is a positive reason. There's a secondary gain for everything, and even though we can have behaviours that we don't think we like when you can start to appreciate there is actually a positive reason for that behavior and your body's not trying to hurt you on purpose and she's not trying to make you like awful she's actually trying to fill these these voids like there's some kind of substitute in the background that's driving this behavior it's often then very easy to try and flip that story around and reframe it where you can come from more of the the viewpoint of having more compassion and kindness to yourself because change is never going to happen when we beat ourselves up we've got to be coming from that place of compassion and kindness mm-hmm. and can we talk about the hunger scale so yes. i have quite a few different questions on this one so depending on how you answer then i'll just jump in with some more but okay. I, I find it um quite confusing trying to do the intuitive eating and wonder at what stage should people eat and mm-hmm. um obviously there's eating when you're, you're not really hungry and there's different types of hunger Yep. Okay. So first thing first is I'm not a fan of intuitive eating. I don't teach it. I'm not saying that it's inertly wrong. Um, But I think the problem is with intuitive eating and actually with the hunger scale is it's still a diet. Like there's still rules and plans and um, these kind of idealistic things that we're supposed to do in order to get it right. So I think in terms of the hunger scale, what I prefer to encourage people to do is to just listen. And I know that sounds really easy. And sometimes it's easier than what we think it's going to be. But really, when it comes to hunger, the more that you can just be an observer, like rather than trying to get this perfect and wait until you're you know, feeling really hungry or ravenously hungry, what if you could just relax into it and actually just start having this conversation with yourself, with your body, and just keep checking in with her and tuning in with her. And it's like, well, do I want to eat now? Yes or no? And they're really going with that instinctive response that you have, because this is where self-trust becomes built upon. Like if you start questioning, well, am I hungry enough to eat now? You're not trusting yourself already. And, you know, self-trust is definitely something that has got to be built upon for anybody to really heal their relationship with food which means that some days you might eat your lunch when you're not as hungry as maybe you were the day before or maybe you find yourself eating at like three o'clock in the afternoon because actually that's what your body's telling you she wants Mm -hmm. but relaxing into that and not becoming too fixated on I have to eat when I'm hungry and I can't really eat until I'm a certain number on the scale that's still a diet and that's why I'm not a fan of intuitive eating in that sense. But I think you do have to ask yourself those questions initially to get the trust. Because mm. at first, yeah. be, I remember when I was hungry, I would just be scared. If I'm hungry, then it means I'm going to binge because that's how I used to feel. Yes. And then also I used to have guilt associated with I've eaten and I wasn't hungry. That means have I binged? Even if I've had like a, a normal meal that you would consider a normal portion, that yeah. would just be like um, conditioning from my brain that I was always used to feeling guilt of if I'd eaten when I didn't feel hungry. Yeah, I think um, I think sometimes if anybody feels and there's, there's two things that I want to mention. First of all, if anybody feels guilty after they've eaten, just acknowledge it, recognize that it's there. If you're able to kind of step away from the story that you're now telling yourself and just see what things you can become aware of, as in, you know, how are you feeling? What's going on? If you didn't feel this way, what might you notice? Because within these moments where we kind of go into that thought process of, I'm to blame. What's wrong with me? I can't do this. There's lesson in that. There's a lesson that's trying to be, you know, trying to teach you something. 
But the other thing as well is it's not wrong to eat when we're not hungry. And again, this is, I think, where intuitive eating is kind of a massive failing, to be honest, because there will be times, as there should be in life, where we just want a piece of cake or we want a biscuit with a cup of tea or, you know, we want to have a snack in the afternoon because actually that's just what we feel like. And I think the more that we're able to appreciate that, yes, our bodies will guide us towards physical hunger. And most of the time we react to that message by eating, by feeding ourselves. It's not wrong to eat when we're not physically hungry. And as soon as I was able to give myself permission to do that, I tended to notice that usually I was eating when I was physically hungry most of the time, because you're kind of taking away that pressure of, right, I have to eat like this, because if I don't, it's somehow wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so eating eating whenever, really, is actually not wrong. It's just trying to allow yourself to, to be guided by your body as much as you can. Yeah, that's how I feel as well, because also, like, with my job, I have to exercise at certain hours of the day to teach classes, Mm. So therefore, if I've eaten breakfast way too early to that class, I couldn't eat a full meal before the class or I'd be sick. So I have to eat something sooner when I'm not hungry yet, just so that I've got energy to carry me through. And then obviously with exercise, it takes away your hunger. I've had to learn to eat food straight away even though I'm not hungry because I know that I need to fuel my body from the exercise. Yes. I think probably in your case as well, like you said, because of what you do, it's really just a case of you being even more in tune with yourself as possible because there are, you know, the, the quite often I will work with clients and they do shift work or they, you know, perhaps they're busy mums and they've got like two, three, four children and they're, you know, chauffeur and school runs and everything else. And it's just not physically possible to always be in a position to go, oh, I think I'm really hungry now. I'm going to go and eat. But as much as you can, and I think that's probably the key to this, it's like as much as you can do it. You know, and if there are times and situations where it's just not physically possible, then how can you embrace that concept of feeding yourself, like nourishing yourself as best as you can without turning it into this big stress? So like you said, for you, it might be that you grab something before a class and then you eat something else afterwards. Or maybe someone grabs something, you know, on the way to, I don't know, a meeting, but they know later on they might get half an hour to eat something else. So it really is about embracing the concept of not having diet rules and just allowing your body to guide you, but also what's right for you. Because for you, with what you do, maybe you do eat five, six, seven times a day, because actually that's what your body's requiring based on what you do. Whereas other people might only eat two or three times a day based on what they do. And again, I think that's also really important to mention that every single one of us is so different in terms of our need for food. And that can that can change from one day to the next as it can from one person to the next. Um, And I think that's something to, again, just be open to that there is no right or wrong way to eat. I think often we're trying to search for that perfect way of eating and it just doesn't exist. But also on the hunger scale, not the traditional intuitive eating hunger scale, but how you're feeling about food Um, Mm -hmm. in terms of say, say you're thinking about food all the time does that mean you're hungry if you don't have stomach rumbles, but you just can't get that food out of your head and you're thinking, should I eat it? Should I not? Am I hungry? Am I not? Mm-hmm. So I feel like if you have to sit on your hands to stop eating, then you must be hungry, even though you don't have those physical tummy rumbles. OK, 
Okay, what I would probably say is if somebody's thinking about whether are they hungry or not, I would probably say they might not be, only because when we talk about hunger, it's a body thing. Now, and this is really interesting that everybody that I've ever spoken to or work with that struggles with food and eating, they tend to spend most of their time and actually most of their energies in their head. So they turn this into a thinking thing. It's a thought thing. They overthink, they overanalyze, they try and intellectualize the process of eating. Whereas actually eating is a body thing. It's happening within our bodies, as in from our neck down. So what I encourage people to do is if they're not sure whether they're hungry and they're thinking about whether they're hungry or not, is to just kind of focus their attention on themselves, as in bring their energy from their head into their body. And then from that place, start to have an awareness as to whether do they think their body needs feeding. And I know that sounds a really random thing to say, but when we spend so much time over analyzing this whole concept of right and wrong and what I should do and what I shouldn't do and how can I eat and what do I need to eat, we're completely disconnected from ourselves. Mm -hmm. So reconnecting back to our body is really the math, it's the key, it's the key to all these answers. Because when you know, when you are completely in tune with yourself, most of the time, you just know, like, you know, when you want to eat, you just know, you're not, it's not that you get a thought, it's more like this awareness of I'm hungry. And maybe that is with the tummy rumbling, maybe that isn't with the tummy rumbling. Um, Again, varies from one person to the next, but it's certainly not a head thing. It's not something that we need to think about. It's like we just intuitively know that our body needs feeding. But then at the same time, if you're in the head and you're worrying, should I eat, should I not eat, and then you eat, surely it shouldn't be a problem because if you are listening to your body, later on you just won't be as hungry as you would have been if you didn't eat. Yep. And I think, you know, as I said, there's no right or wrong way to doing this, which I think gets people so frustrated sometimes. It's like, just tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's not that that's not what, what we're trying to do with this conversation. What what I would normally recommend is if somebody feels like they are not sure whether to eat, spend a few minutes and just try and bring your attention into your body. What is she telling you? Have a conversation with her. You know, what do you want to eat right now, body? Do you want hot, cold, sweet, salty, spicy? Like, what do you really fancy? If you get an awareness of something, don't second guess it. Go and do whatever it is that you've had this awareness of. This is where self-trust starts to be, you know, kind of built upon. And if in that moment you're eating and you're like, oh, I don't know whether to eat or not, again, just kind of take it one step at a time. If you think you want to eat it, then eat it. If you're not sure whether to eat it, then wait a couple of minutes and again tune back in with yourself and ask yourself does my body really want this right now because all of this really comes down to the main thing of self-trust because usually when we start to second guess whether we need food when we're questioning well what do I want to eat this has not got anything to do with oh I'm not sure if I'm hungry or not as in I can't feel it or I'm not aware of it it's more to do with that individual actually not trusting themselves and a big part for me with my clients is we build on self-trust from the very get-go because until someone can really trust themselves when it comes to their their choices, their decisions, trusting their body, trusting the feedback, um, trusting this intuition, that's when they can gain momentum in actually breaking free from all of this stuff because they trust themselves. So yeah, I hope that answered the question, Nicola. But on, on another note on hunger, I remember when I was doing various diets and I was taking carbohydrates out of my diet and people would say the protein would fill you up. I remember feeling full, but still having a hunger. So it's as if there is a carbohydrate hunger that you need to fulfill. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, what I tend to refer that as is more to do with satisfaction. And I think this is really important when it comes to food choice. So when we are actually choosing food, I always encourage people to just choose the food that they truly desire to eat. Because, you know, how many times have you been on a diet and you've eaten like a massive bowl of like salad because that's what you should have been eating and you've eaten it. And afterwards, you might not feel physically hungry because you've eaten like a big quantity of it. But you're still hungry for something because you're not satisfied. So then you start to become fixated on, oh, I think there's chocolate in the fridge or I might just go down to the shop and go and get something else because, you know, I've got this hunger for something. So that actually starts with food choice because it's so easy to eat something and not feel hungry afterwards. So technically you've addressed the issue as in you're not hungry now. But if you're not satisfied from what you've chosen to eat, you're still going to have that kind of unsettled feeling of needing something else and we've all done it like this is classic diet behavior whether you've cut carbs out whether you're not eating this whether you're not eating that um so food choice is really important and that's why there is no such thing as foods that are banned and you can't have this and you can't have that because until you give yourself permission to eat whatever the hell you want actually whenever the hell you want to that's where you're going to recognize the satisfaction starts to kick in Mm -hmm. and with satisfaction you're far less likely to be food obsessed because it's like it ticks the box in your brain you get those like satisfied happy chemicals that get released into your brain as well and it's like fabulous I've had a brilliant meal and I'm going to get on with stuff now because I was going to ask if there is such a thing as nourishment hunger as well, because I've done the exact opposite to that, where I've eaten a cake and then I felt like I really fancied the cake. That was great. But now I feel like I've actually had not enough nutrients. and so now I need something with more nutrients in it because I'm still feeling that hunger, even though the tummy pangs have gone. Yeah, quite possibly. Because I think when we are like craving stuff, we can crave things physically. Um, we can crave things nutri- like nutrition sort of based wise. Um, we can crave things emotionally as well and I think it's really just about us listening to ourselves you know there's there's nothing wrong as you said with eating cake at all but at the same time if you're noticing that you're eating it and afterwards you're like oh I think my body's craving nutrients you know that is your opportunity to really step away from any story that you're telling yourself as in well is that really me that's saying that is that really my body that's saying that or is that the diet gremlin on my shoulder that's going oh you've just eaten a cake that's really not good for you You need to go and eat some apples now because sometimes the voices that we have and these things that start to come up for us within ourselves I really encourage people to start questioning is that the truth because a lot of the time when we've been so immersed into diet culture it takes a while for us to recognize what our true inner voice is and you know I'm not saying that that's the case for you exactly but I know from from my experience with like clients and probably with myself as well there is that little overlap area where you're not dieting anymore yet you're not yet where you want to be so you still have all these kind of conflicting thoughts every once in a while popping up so just be aware of where that thought comes from and whether it really is you or whether it's still rooted in diet culture mm-hmm. that's a good one so moving on from food <coughs> can we talk about raising kids because you, you're a mum of two did you say yes and i'm a mum of two as well and just the other day i was walking pick it up picked up my five-year-old from school we were walking past the ice cream van and a mum said to her child you can have an ice cream if you're good And then Mm -hmm. I just thought about it from the ice cream van all the way to my car. I don't know why I was thinking about it. And my daughter said the same thing to me. And I thought, oh, that's interesting that she's also thought about this. If I'm a good girl, then can I have an ice cream? 
And I just said to her, you know, you can have ice cream every day. Obviously, I want you to be a good girl, but I don't reward you for being a good girl with food like we do our dog. Our dog has a treat for food. So what, what's your opinion on that particular topic and just in general um, raising your kids? Um, I think that's um, I think that's something. First of all, not to like judge anyone because I know it's really easy as parents that we do we do things that like we're always doing our best, so we're not criticizing or judging anybody that may be doing that. Um, I think it comes again. It's awareness. Um, a lot of the time when people can end up having dysfunctional relationships to food, there can be those associations, you know, and often we do get rewarded when we're younger with treats and chocolate. You know, I remember for myself and my sister, we used to have a treat night on a Friday and it was called treat night. Mm -hmm. Now, after school, we go to like the sweet shop, we get like I think 20 pence at the time, get some like sweets in a bag and we were allowed to have them after we'd had our dinner on a Friday. And that was kind of standard. That's what we did for years and years and years. Now, that's not to say that somebody growing up with that kind of um, tradition is naturally going to end up having all these messed up relationships with food, not at all. But at the same time, we have to be very aware of, particularly with young children, how their behaviours are being created between kind of birth and about eight or nine years old. Like that window is really when they're laying down their foundations of how they fit into the world. Because remember, little ones, they're not able to filter the information like a grown-up, so they take everything as fact. So if children are being brought up with that kind of, oh, well, if you do this, you're good and you can have this, or, you know, if you're a bad child, you can't have this because that's punishment. Um, it's just about awareness more than anything. And as I've said, I'm not criticizing anybody that, that does this at all. But for myself, what we tend to do with our children is we are very very free with food in our house so we have a cupboard which is easily accessible um as in they can go in it whenever they want to and it's got biscuits in and it's got crisps in and it's got the perceived treat foods we don't call them treat food it's just food but at the same time there's also a bowl of fruit on the side that they can also have so if they want a snack when they come home from school they are free to choose what they want now before that freaks anybody out as in oh my god i can't do that with my kids what we tend to notice with ours is that they tend to choose what they tend to choose. So some days they want a packet of crisps. Some days they'll have a chocolate bar. Some days it's a biscuit. Some days, like yesterday, my little boy went into the kitchen and he took two um, tomatoes out of the fridge and he just sat on the sofa and ate them because that's what he wanted. And I think when you can just have that relationship yourself with food where you just see food as being food, it's not a reward. It's not something that you treat yourself with. It's just food. You're going to pass that on to your children. And I know from a lot of the experience that I've had with some of my clients, they've already said that as soon as they felt more calm and relaxed with food, their their dynamic within their family started to change because it was no longer the, the kind of the big issue that it had always been. And it also then got passed on to their children. Like they noticed that they were talking about food in a different way to how they'd been doing before. Um, so I think awareness more than anything. Um, and as you rightly said, there's nothing wrong with having an ice cream every day if they want to, but just be aware of how you are selling that ice cream to the child as in, well, it's just an ice cream. It's not because I love you more than your brother, or it's not because you've been super good today. I'm just giving you an ice cream because you can have one if you wish. Yeah. So it is, it is quite challenging trying to say the right words all the time and you know not mess up your children because <laughs> obviously hearing so many adults who've had various issues and it all came from when they were children 
And um, there was another incident where a lady, her child was crying because she'd fallen over and she gave her like a massive bar of chocolate and was like, there, there, you'll be okay now. And then I just thought that's going to um, make that child an emotional eater, surely, because if she's feeling sad and thinks that chocolate's going to make me happy, then that could then lead on to her feeling like that as an adult. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to be careful that we're not sort of assuming that every child that gets given chocolate when they fall is going to become an emotional eater because they might not be like I think there's there still has to be some kind of tendency for individuals to be pulled in towards the, the this, you know, path of dysfunctional eating. It's not going to be everybody. Um, but at the same time, as you've said, I think I think we just have to be aware of how we talk to our kids and actually not just about food. It's about everything. Um, you know, and I don't think anybody listening to this, if they're like, oh, my God, I do that and I'm such a bad parent and I've messed my child up. You haven't at all, because I think it's about balance. You know, every so often I, you know, my parents as grandparents, I still hear them say to my children, oh, do you want a treat or do you want this off grandma? And, you know, and I don't necessarily turn around and go stop saying that because it's wrong, because, you know, it's just what my mum does. But at the same time, it's also about balance. So what I also do with my children is we are quite open, like we have open conversations about food in the sense of, you know, what does your body want to eat and how does your body feel today? And you now I kind of talk to them about nourishing their body. So I don't really talk about health, as in if you eat this orange, it's healthy, um, because who's to say it's healthy? It's just more nutritious for their body. But I do use the word nutrition and I do use, use the word kind of making your body happy. Um, so like my little boy knows that if he eats certain things, his immune system will get strong and, you know, his body will be happy if he gets like colds. So I think it's just how we have this conversation with our children. And I don't think we need to overcomplicate it. I think if we just keep it really simple, that's when they can really latch onto this as not being an issue. It's it's just facts because children do take things very factually. They don't really ask too many questions, um, which is actually a really good thing, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're saying about intuitive eating and you're not um, 100% on board with the whole concept of intuitive eating. What about intuitive exercise? What are your thoughts on that? Um, Well, personally, um, I actually don't use the word exercise. And the reason why I don't is because I think it's a trigger word for so many people. Um, I think a lot of people that are in the realms of foods and eating dysfunction and weight obsession, exercise is part of that story. And you know, that's just my personal preference. So I prefer to use the word like activity or movement. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it's the same concept as food. It's like, it's about choosing what feels good for you. You know, if eating a piece of cake for your breakfast feels good for you, then do it. The same as if going for a five mile run feels good for you and your body, then do it. I think we have to be careful that we don't kind of over prescribe exercise and also having that connection with weight loss I think that's a really important thing to differentiate that if anybody's doing exercise or activity or movement and their motivating factor behind it is to slim down or tone up and that really is when the not necessarily the alarm bells need to ring but again it's just an opportunity for that individual to step out of their story and start stepping into their truth because I used to go to the gym like I said several times a week several times a day sometimes and I didn't really always enjoy it but I went because I felt like I had to Mm -hmm. Um, and that wasn't intuitive like I was going completely against what my body was wanting because I was making her go for the wrong reason so I think it's all about listening and paying attention and 
yeah not really having to justify yourself if you feel like doing it then fantastic and if you don't feel like doing it then for me that's also not a big deal either so yeah so I think I felt like I'm in a conflict with the fitness industry and the body positive community mm. and I understand why people have issues with the fitness industry because I've had those issues too and I understand the language that's used and the marketing and all of the weight loss stuff that goes associated with it but because I am a fitness professional and I teach classes and I have positive experience in my classes um, and I feel like maybe more for the mental side of things I, I understand that I'm helping people with their stress levels with um, just even getting out of the house for some people or some people who might feel depressed and I've had such nice feedback from people in terms of their mental state rather than the physical. And I know there's always going to be some people in my classes who are there just to burn calories. And, yeah. you know, I know that I can't change that. I just have to lead the way and hopefully they might follow. And if they don't, then that's their thing. They can do that. Um, but I did feel like there was such a big conflict between the two and felt like I need to do one or the other. And it's only really now I've just kind of this week really just woken up and feel like, I don't I don't get the opportunity to have intuitive exercise I don't like this morning I woke up and I didn't feel like teaching a class but I still did it because it was my job and it wasn't um, a class that I would I was gonna go to to have the choice to say I don't feel like it so I'm not gonna go now mm. but I've realized I'm not there for that reason because I'm not there to change my body I'm there to teach people and I enjoy my teaching yes. So I feel like as you were just saying that I've just um, put it in another perspective like like I'm a builder and my job is building and just so happens to be physical and I yeah. enjoy my job. So that's how I see it now. So I can't really exercise intuitively unless it's outside of my work. Um, yes. which most of the time I probably will be too knackered to do it. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. My actual work I enjoy and I enjoy it just like a builder would enjoy their, their building a house. <laughs> Does that make yeah. sense? No, definitely. And I think for anybody actually that works in like the fitness industry, because you know, there are, I've, I've had quite a few people that I've spoken to like on, on some of my podcast shows and it can be a bit of a conflicting area because like you said, sadly the fitness industry does tend to be focused far more on like weight slash I'm going to say health but you know one of the same thing that connection to weight anyway mm -hmm. that as opposed to like you said the emotional satisfaction that we get from exercise and stress reduction and you know lifting our mood and all that kind of stuff it's not really focused on that so I can see why it can be challenging for people within the fitness industry but I think like you said you're paving the way like you can only do what you're doing for your people and the more that you you know vibrate on the level that you are doing and you talk openly about what you're talking about and you're very open about you know I'm doing this class but we're not going to be burning calories or you're you know you're just very aware of your language as well then you're going to naturally start shifting dynamics within your groups anyway by default because it's you it's like it's your stuff so you know change happens by one person at a time doesn't it and yeah. and I'm sure that the way that you're doing it as you are you can find that happy medium between being in the fitness industry but also being part of the body positive movement but it's about feeling finding that fit that's right for you you know I don't think any of us need to stick to one thing rigidly because I think rigidity is not healthy it's not good it's going to keep any of us stuck there has to be flexibility for expansion and growth um and I think the mix that you're doing right now is, is fantastic you know I, I hope that there's more people like you that start doing what they're doing because it's so needed out there thank you well, I think it is good definitely to find your own way and not feel like you have to go one way or the other and that there is a big divide 
Yeah, definitely. I think that's, um, I think like we were saying about intuitive eating, um, sometimes we do feel like we have to do it a certain way. We could kind of argue that the body positive movement's the same, um, as in if you're not completely body positive, then there's something wrong with you. It's about what's what's right for you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to wear makeup, that's fine. If you want to do this, that's fine. If you want to do that, that's fine. If you want to have cake for breakfast, that's fine. It comes down to you again at the end of the day and your self-trust and your belief in yourself that you don't need external justification or validation from anybody or anything to give yourself permission to be who you are. And, you know, that's kind of quite a a deep message underneath that, but it's true because if every single one of us just focused on our own stuff every day and we did what felt right for us and we dressed how we wanted to and we exercised how we wanted to and we ate how we wanted to and we didn't really give a crap about anybody else within our kind of bigger society, that's where change would happen regardless. So I think we do need to find our own way when it comes to all of this. You know, you can get experience from people and you can read things and you can follow people and you can work with people and you can be part of movements. But at the end of the day, all of us have got to kind of take from all of this what feels right for us with where we are right now and use that to help us get to the next part of our own journey. Mm -hmm. So then lastly, um, do you want to share with us your social media or where people can find you or follow you? Yeah, sure. So my um, I'm quite active over social media, but my website is rachelfoy.com. Um, there's loads of kind of bits and pieces on there at the moment. So some um, freebies to download, including my food freedom toolkit, which has got some meditations. Um, and you can also find me at the foodfreedommasterclass.com. And that's my signature 10 week home study program. So that really is everything and more that anybody needs to take them from diet junkie, emotional eater to somebody who has got a normal relationship with food Um, and all my stuff on social media. You'll find through my website at rachelfoy.com. Brilliant. Thank you. And um, is there anything else that you wanted to leave us with? Um, I think really just to summarize our wonderful conversation is for anybody that's listening and maybe they're new to this or maybe they know that they want to heal their relationship but they're too scared to do it um, just start because you know sometimes fear will keep you stuck as it will do Um, but it's really just a case of taking it one step at a time and no matter how long anybody has struggled with food and eating and body image you can heal your relationship with food and with yourself but it takes you to make that choice and as soon as you make the choice that's it you just put one foot in front of the other and you just keep doing it although some days you have to accept that you go backwards that's yep that's okay that's part of the journey forwards yeah yeah change uh, change is not linear it's not from one point straight to the next it's got ups and downs and sometimes we go backwards and sideways but we're always making progress even though we don't feel like it at all those points um change is always happening well thank you rachel you've got some great answers there you're very welcome thanks nicola If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave Nicola a review on iTunes. You can also check out the show notes and get other free content on her website, foodstallfit.co.uk. If you'd like to contact Nicola, email nicola at foodstallfit.co.uk.